Hi, I'm Ross Jelseth, and today I'm going to discuss with you the influence and the impact you can make by saying just the right thing at the right time. Your words are very powerful and you can make significant impact on people by saying just the right thing at the right time. In that regard, I recently wrote a book and over the course of the next several weeks, we're producing a series of podcast sessions, each of which deals with a topic related to the use of words. Today's topic is on the topic of faith. It happens to be the first chapter in my book, which will be coming out in late March. Faith is a part of life. There are different synonyms for the word faith. Let me give you an example of several. If you look in the dictionary, one of the first synonyms you're going to find for the word faith is hope. All people are looking for hope. I don't care what age, what ethnicity group, what country you're from, people are looking for hope. The second word that equates to faith is confidence. The stronger a person's faith, the more confident that individual is going to be. Another example is trust. In a marriage, really becomes a function of, do they trust one another? Do they have faith in one another? The best marriages are built on trust. And that trust comes because it equates to faith in each other. Belief is another synonym for the word faith. The stronger a person's belief, in my opinion, the more faith they have in what they're about to do or what they can do. So, so far we've talked about hope, confidence, belief, and trust are all a part of faith. Another word that I think is vital for life is optimism. A person who has a strong faith is an optimistic person. And let's think about it. If you're going to be in a room with people, you'd want to be with people that are optimistic as compared to pessimistic. So optimism and optimism is a key part of faith. Reliance is another word that equates to faith. People of strong faith are people that know they can rely on their background, their history, their experience of having done something and they know therefore they can rely on themselves or they can rely on someone else because they have faith. And then the other context of faith is in our culture worldwide, we have various religions. And religion really is a function of a belief in a higher power. And there are different religions, but irregardless of what the religion is, it's a faith in someone else or a higher power other than yourself. So today, I want to spend some time talking to you about faith in the context of how you can apply it and you apply it with the words that you use. If you think for a moment about investing your faith each day, that's probably not something you think a lot about. 
But if you do, as we pause for a moment now, think about all the people that you interact with on a given day. And those people, whether it's your family members, which could include your spouse, or it can be friends, it can be employees that you work with, you share an office with, you share a workspace with, it can be team members. All of these different people all become a circle of people that you put faith in. Because if you really didn't have faith in them, why would you stay in relationship with them? So you invest your time and your faith in people. Personally, I believe faith in God is imperative to life. And my story is really, as I look back on it, has been a faith journey. I can look back on critical decisions that were made either by me or my wife and I or my parents, somebody along my path, I can identify and say God had his hand in that. And so I'd like to share with you my story briefly so you can better understand my context of the word faith. My goal coming out of college was to be a football coach. In order to be a football coach and get paid, I had to be a teacher as well. So education was my choice in college, to be an education major. So my first high school teaching and coaching job gave me a start. And when I look at that, that was my passion for years. The more I coached, the more someday I felt I was gonna be in the NFL. I was a high school coach, then I became a college coach, and I was on my path, and I absolutely loved it. And it consumed my who I was. But I was doing something I absolutely loved, and I think most of us, if we can find something that we love to do, it's one of the greatest blessings there is. So life was good for Ross. I was doing what I wanted to do, Exciting to be on the field with players. Exciting to be in the locker rooms. Game day. There's nothing like game day. There's nothing like game day locker rooms if you're a football coach. So in that regard, life was good. And I had an interesting thing happen to me. My wife and I moved from North Dakota, where I coached at North Dakota State University, to the Pacific Northwest when I became the head football coach at the University of Puget Sound. And we came to Tacoma, Washington to take that job. And I remember my thought was, I'll be here for a short time, and then I'm gonna take another coaching job as a head coach at a higher level. And so that was the thinking. And the reason I bring this up is part of my story is God got a hold of me. And with that, when I mentioned earlier that I can look back and see God's hand, so I spent nine years at the University of Puget Sound. They're great years. Had some fun teams, great kids. University was a great place to be. I look back and have nothing but fond memories and uh, just a great time. But we started to attend a church here in Tacoma, Washington. And the longer we attended, the more I became aware of what 
God was trying to do in my life. And a man entered my life when we started attending Life Center called Fulton Buntain. And Fulton Buntain was the senior pastor. For whatever reason, he took an affinity to me and I took a grasp. He, I just, I, I leaned in on every word that man said. And so his influence became a part of my faith journey. Pastor Montaigne began talking to me about leaving college football, leaving coaching. And at first I'm like, there's no way. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be here a short time longer and I'm going to go somewhere else and coach. But I'm not going to leave college coaching. But the longer he kept asking, and he didn't really take no for an answer, the more I started to realize maybe there was more to this than what Fulton was saying. In other words, I could see where God had his hand in it because he was preparing my heart. And three years after Fulton Bundane first asked me to come to Life Christian and create a school, I decided to do so. And I did that. And now 26 years later, after being the head of that school for those 26 years, I can see what a blessing it's been and what influence and impact I've been able to have. And today, as we look at faith, my passion now is to serve people by helping them have this same opportunity to receive a blessing by what you do with other people and for other people. So the transition from college football to being the head of a school, which I never thought would happen, has been a part of God's touch on my life. Now, in my book, there's a sentence that I wrote, how I came up with it, I don't know, but it, it became a part of the book. And the sentence is, sometimes faith means taking the step that's in front of you not knowing where that step is going to lead, but confident it's the step that God wants you to take. And I think one of the exciting things in life is to move forward in faith, not entirely certain of the outcome, but your faith is so strong that you do it. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, the reality of what he hopes for but it's the evidence also of things not seen, which means we move forward in faith in hope that what we're doing is the right thing. But faith is also the element of the uncertainty of what's ahead, but we're willing to do it because of our faith. It's exciting. Now, the other aspect of faith is faith can give direction to your life. You don't need to do business alone. One of my best friends, uses this expression a lot, don't do business alone. And part of that is faith can be a great asset to help you in times of decision or times of indecision. And in that regard, my life like yours, if you look back on it, I'm sure you can find instances where someone or your faith allowed you to make a decision that you can look back and say, I made the right decision. Sometimes it's not making a decision. Uh, I've gotten good advice from a, a gentleman one time sitting across from him at lunch. I intentionally scheduled lunch with him to get his ideas on a couple of things, get his opinions. 
and we had a conversation about something I was thinking about doing. And you know what he told me at the end of the conversation? He said, Ross, if you're not certain, don't do it. And I walked out of there. At first, I was like, I wish he would have told me what to do. But instead, he told me what not to do. So if you weren't certain, don't. So that's an illustration of how, in some cases, not making a decision to do something at a different time, it could be the right opportunity, but not now. The point is, we can look back and we can see times where faith helps us make and or not make a decision. The other place I think where faith is important is in the family. If you think about right now, just picture this if you would. A mother and a father and two children. Could be four children, could be six children. If there's six, God bless you. But the point being is, like for right now, let's focus on the family unit. And where does faith come in? You think about the children in that home. They can learn an awful lot from their parents. Parents of strong faith can give that faith to their children. You cannot feed out of an empty basket. That expression is powerful. In other words, in order to give something away, you have to have it yourself. So if you think about, let's say, for example, in this family unit, these two children, you got a 12-year-old and you got an eight-year-old. Well, every day they can be impacted by their mother and father's evidence of their faith. Children are smart. More is caught than taught. They catch what mom and dad are referencing. They catch what mom and dad are teaching. They catch what mom and dad set an example to be. So for example, Monday through Friday, two children go to school. Happens all over the world. The weekend comes, what happens on weekends? Change of pace, change of schedule, change of opportunity. Where does faith come in? Sunday, or whatever day the Sabbath is, the family unit goes to church. Don't kid yourself. Those two children are catching by example what their mom and dad are doing on a Sunday. That can become the beginning of the transfer of faith from here to there, so to speak. So faith and family go together. Let me give you an exa another example about faith that's in the book. Faith is a constant growth. We can live off yesterday's faith, but we live better off today's faith. We live off of faith because we grow in our faith. Now, how do you grow? You can grow by reading, by looking at media, by talking to other people. But in our culture, a lot of people grow in their faith by regular attendance and regular worship, irregardless of what religion it is. Pastors and priests, spiritual leaders become teachers and they provide spiritual growth to people. So in that regard, I interviewed Tyler Soley, who is the senior pastor at Life Center. He's a graduate of Life Christian Academy. And now, 20 years later, plus he's now in a pastoral role. And I interviewed him to ask him a couple of questions about his role 
and the use of his words to impact and influence his congregation. And he said to me, Ross, there's no cookie cutter approach. In other words, one size doesn't fit all. So I asked him, well, then how do you know what it is to say on a given Sunday? Or I notice in today's world, pastors have a tendency to speak in series. For the next four or five weeks, we're going to talk about this topic. So his answer to me was, I either use something that's going on in my life that I sense is going on in the lives of others as well. I can teach from what I'm experiencing myself or have experienced, which makes total sense. We teach best from what we've learned. The other example that I, I want to share with you is what I call tenacious faith, which is the faith you need to have in order to be tested. Part of life is testing. Life is not always going to be a paved road with a new car. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be some rough roads. There's going to be some breakdowns in the car. That's just the story of life. Jesus taught about it in Matthew chapter 7. Three verses, 24 through 27. There's a parable. And the parable is of two builders. And his point in using the parable was to talk about two people who built a home. And we could say, for purposes, it's the same house. One built the house on a solid foundation, solid rock. The other built the same house, but on shifting sand, not solid ground. In both cases, Jesus said, the storms of life will come. But the house built on the solid rock will withstand the storms. What does it really say? It's saying to take the principles of faith and live them and apply them and depend on them. Now to my story on tenacious faith. Our family walked alongside of my sister-in-law, Jackie McLean, through a journey of cancer. And no family wants to go through it. She was a single mom living back in North Dakota. She found out with the diagnosis that she had a very bad malignant case of cancer. She needed to undergo a double mastectomy as well as chemotherapy and radiation. That was very difficult, but her faith was strong. She got through it and she believed she had a clean bill of health. She had been thinking about making a move to the Pacific Northwest to join us to be closer to family. So 2002, she made the move to the Pacific Northwest. Tacoma, Washington, we helped her find a home, get relocated, get settled, two children. And we believed life was gonna be good because we believed Jackie was healed. Unfortunately, three months later, my wife got a call and Jackie said, I've found another lump. My wife, being a nurse, said, well, we need to go get this checked out. So they go in, sure enough, cancer in her body again, except now it has spread to other areas in the body. Now, why do I give you this example about tenacious faith? 
because as difficult as that was for all of us to accept, think this thought, we thought she was healed when she made the move from the Midwest to the Pacific Northwest. And now to hear this devastating news, but you know whose faith was the strongest? Jackie McLean's. Jackie, from the moment she had that second negative diagnosis to the moment she went to heaven, continued strong in her faith. Different family members took her to radiation treatments, to chemo treatments, sit in the waiting room, prayed with her, and Jackie's voice was always the voice of faith. She believed God's promise for her life. And I remember the night she passed away, we were all around her bedside, singing hymns and Jackie reassuring everybody as she looked around that bedroom that life was going to be okay. She believed in Isaiah 26, verse three, there's a verse that speaks to God's touch, and she believed it. And the verse is, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. And this is speaking of God keeping and applying this perfect peace for all whose thoughts are fixed on him. And her eyes throughout all the adversity of this entire cancer journey, twice she remained strong in her faith. And that's why I share that example of tenacious faith. Another example of faith is faith in colleagues. Let's just apply this to today for you. You go to work. You may work in a small business with six other employees, or you could be working in corporate America where there are thousands of employees. The reality is in order for you to feel good about that job and to feel good about that workplace and what you're all doing, you have to have faith in your colleagues. You have to have faith that everybody else is doing their part. Everybody else wants to be a part of the solution. Let me give you a perfect example. Think about a car that you drive. Think about its origin. At some point in time, it was put together in a factory. Somebody in that factory put the seats in the car. But before they put the seats in the car, somebody had to put the frame together. Somebody had to put the wheels on. Then somebody puts the motor in it. They put parts of the motor in it. Somebody else puts other parts in the motor. Eventually it comes off the assembly line and it's driven out somewhere and then it's put on some kind of transportation to get to somewhere to be sold to Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But it started way back in this assembly line. And you know what's interesting about that assembly line? Some of those people in the assembly line will never meet the other people in the assembly line. But yet they have to all have faith that they're all putting that car together very well. So we can apply our faith because we work alongside of other people and we can use our words to speak life into them as our colleagues. There's an expression I came across in my book, uh, and it says this, if you want to go fast, you can go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. In other words, having a team and bringing people together for a project, that's exciting, but not only exciting, but you can move forward together much further 
than you ever could by going alone. But you need faith in the people around you. Another illustration, and this was one of my favorite uh, pieces of, of uh, life in a hardship situation that I've ever read about. World War II happened because of Adolf Hitler's suppression of the Jewish faith. For whatever reason, he made a decision that his goal was to eliminate the Jewish population. He, over the course of several years, captured as much of the Jewish population as he could and moved them into concentration camps. The persecution of the Jews became a, an atrocity. One of those people was a man by the name of Chaim Furster. Chaim was born and raised in Poland to a Jewish family. And when he was 17 years old, Adolf Hitler's influence and the German armies began to go and capture the Jewish population. Chaim's family was split up. At the age of 20, he entered his first concentration camp. And over the course of two years, he was moved, he outlasted, and he kept living through moves to eight different concentration camps. Think about that. Two years in concentration camps. Think about the feeling of just being transferred from one to the other and the uncertainty of where you're going. And along that path, two years of hardship to include seeing people that he knew dying, being killed. He tells the story when you study his life of bodies being stacked on pallets. He tells the story of ice cold showers. He tells the story of no food for days. He tells the story of working outside, doing tasks for the German army in 20 below temperatures. All of those afflictions, all that adversity. And yet, why did he survive eight moves? At his last camp where he was at, he noticed when he arrived, large brick silos. They weren't silos. They were chimneys. What were those chimneys? Those chimneys were for burning the Jews. Now, every day, if you and I were in that situation, it would be so easy to do what? To give up. And to think like what had happened to all the rest of the people for two years, he'd watched this. And yet, in the eighth concentration camp, Chaim Furster felt like his day of death was coming. But at that same time, the U.S. Army, the Allied forces, broke through the gates of that concentration camp. And he tells the story of hearing the words, you're free, you're captives no longer. What a story. To have that faith 
to withstand the hardship of two years in concentration camp. Powerful, is it not? But it happened because his faith kept convincing him, I'm going to make it, I'm going to live. So we've talked about faith in the context of growth in faith, faith as a direction for your life. We've talked about faith through adversity. We've talked about the different illustrations of faith and stories. And as we look at faith, we look at words, I came across a powerful prayer that was written by Richard Cardinal Cushing, who was a great ambassador for the Catholic Church in Boston. And this little prayer says a lot about who this man was, but most importantly, it's encouragement to all of us. Here's his little prayer. Dear God, help me to be a sport in this little game of life. I don't ask for an easy place in the lineup. Play me anywhere you need me. I only ask for the stuff to give you 100% of what I've got. If all the hard drives seem to come my way, I thank you for the compliment. Help me to remember that you won't ever let anything come my way that you and I together can't handle. And help me to take the bad break as part of the game. Help me to understand that the game is full of knots and knocks and trouble and make me thankful for them. Help me to be brave so that the harder they come, the better I like it. And oh God, help me to always play on the square. No matter what the other players do, help me to come clean. Help me to study the book so that I'll know the rules and to study and think a lot about the greatest player that ever lived. He's talking about the Bible. And other players that are portrayed in the book. If they found out that the best part of the game was helping other guys who were out of luck, help me to find it out too. Help me to be regular and also an inspiration with the other players. Finally, oh God, if fate seems to uppercut me with both hands and I'm laid on the shelf in sickness or old age or something, help me to take that as a part of the game too. Help me not to whimper or squeal that the game was a frame-up or that I had a raw deal. When, in the falling dusk, I get the final bell, I ask for no lying complimentary tombstone. I'd only like to know that you feel I've been a good game guy, a saint in the game of life, a saint in the game of life. I summarize today with words from the famous Norman Vincent Peale. He had four little phrases that together are powerful, and here they are. Think big, pray big, believe big, and you'll be big. Thanks for listening in, and I look forward to our next session of Winning Words when we'll discuss training, training of the mind and training and the body. And as my friend and mentor Fulton Buntain used to say, Here's wishing you good health, good friends, and God's very best.